addiction. International terrorism. Freeway killers. Now, more than ever, it's it is important to remember the true meaning of Christmas. Don't miss Charles Dickens' immortal classic, Scrooge. Your life might just night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even the alien in the backyard. Good evening, and welcome to 42 Minutes, the production of Thinkbook Radio and TheThinkbook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. I am William Morgan, and tonight, as we wait for Santa Claus to arrive, we're going to see if anything else lands on the roof for this special Christmas edition of the program, episode number 116. Additionally, our guests have made a free audio version of their latest book available to the lucky lucky one of you who can be the first to correctly answer their trivia question. They ask later on in the show, so please pay attention. And this book that we're going to be discussing tonight is The Synchronicity Highway by Trish and Rob McGregor. Send your responses to thesyncbook at gmail.com, and we'll repeat that later on. Hello, my name is Douglas Bowles, and here this evening we again connect with Rob and Trish, professional writers of both fiction and nonfiction for some 25 years. Most recently, they have written a number of nonfiction books on synchronicity. They are also the authors of a bunch of fiction books written for various audiences and age groups under various names. More information about their work and their different projects can be found at their website, SynchroSecrets.com. Trish and Rob also penned a chapter for the Sync Book Volume 2 entitled UFOs and Synchros, and that offers a nice little look into their world. Hello, welcome for coming, and hello and welcome. Thanks for coming back, guys. Hi, you guys. Good introduction. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Sorry it was a little long. It's good to talk to you, though. You too. So you guys have decided to take over the world with synchronicity books, then? <laughs> it seems that way. <laughs> this keeps happening. How many have you written now? This is the fourth. Fourth one, yeah. If you include aliens in the backyard. Yeah. And, and and so this new book, the Synchronicity Highway, is what 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 is happening that you needed a fourth synchronicity book? Well, there were a couple of things <laughs> in our first two synchronicity books, which were for a traditional publisher. Uh, we weren't 
permitted to put in certain stories. So we thought, okay, we'll do this with a non-traditional publisher and put in what we want. <laughs> we took a broader view on this uh, right. book than, uh, any, than the first three. And uh, it's kind of the uh, synchronicity and the universe. <laughs> well, it's well, beginning to feel like an encyclopedia at this point. <laughs> It's 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 um I think I would definitely recommend it to our audience. I wouldn't say that I'm sure they're going to get different at various points in the book they're going to find things that they haven't found before, but it's very comprehensive and so that's that it draws together a lot of research in a in a really pretty slick way, I think. Well, we knew that we had to devote more of this book to synchronicity and the paranormal. We touched on it in the first three books, but in this one, we covered just about every aspect of synchronicity and the paranormal that you can think of, <laughs> from, uh, you know, spirit communication to telepathy to psychokinesis, precognition, and clairvoyance, like remote viewing. We also got some really nice interviews for this book, one with Whitley Strieber and another with remote viewer Joe McMonigle, which is really interesting. You guys got Joseph McMonagle, huh? Yeah. Right. I, he's hard to contact. I would be excited to see what he has to say. Because I've read a little bit of his stuff on this, and it seems to be that that's an interesting point of view that not everybody's saying, with how how it relates to remote viewing and everything. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, Joe, in this interview, he talks about a synchronicity that actually opened up his whole life for him. He had had a near-death experience when he was in the service. And after that, he started having out-of-body experiences and, and a lot of things that were happening to him that he didn't understand. So one day he was in a bookstore, and it's the old library angel synchro, synchro where you're in a bookstore or a, or a library, and a certain book falls at your feet. And the book was Robert Monroe's Journey Out-of-Body. So... After he read through this, and Bob Monroe was an engineer, Joe didn't feel like he was nuts. And he actually ended up at the Monroe Institute working with uh, Monroe. But now, did you – okay, so there's a number of directions here. But did you get the impression that any of the other remote viewers were as credible as Joe McGonigal? I think there were several of them that, uh, that were uh, – there's a couple of them that are – uh, somewhat questionable. I mean, talking with Joe, a lot of them are questionable. But <laughs> Joe was known as uh, remote viewer, viewer number zero zero one, so he was like the the first guy and the last guy. <laughs> the, that section of the book is fabulous. Um, I'm wondering if he made the connection, the near death experience with the the powers that he had, or his powers and prowess as a remote viewer. Well, as Joe, as Joe explained to us, it's like the near-death experience showed him that there was something other than, you know, death when you die. And from that, a lot of other things started happening for him that he didn't get. And one of the things that he did is he had an opportunity to work with um, Hal Putoff and Targ at, oh, where was Stanford that? Research. Yeah, Stanford. And that was pretty much where he honed his skills as a remote viewer. 
But what's interesting about remote viewing, like if you went to Joe and said, okay, read me, he doesn't do that. He can only remote view in a particular way. But if you ask him a question and put it in a sealed envelope with some numbers on the front of the envelope, he can uh, find out what that question is and uh, go into detail about it. (laughs) He wrote this book about time and how it all relates and how can one's like basically remembering time. Yeah, and and that has a lot to do with synchronicity to me and how, like, you know, the synchronicities about the Titanic and the ones that are involved with JFK and everything. Right. There's, like, these really big moments in time that have, like, a little bend on them for a lot. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just... I. The, the secret that he would have about time is what I'm interested in. Uh-huh. In what sense? And, in, in, like, how things already happen. Like, like uh, to, to think of it like the, the term, like, uh, there's a really bad person in a house, right? Uh-huh. And he's this bad, evil person, and this boulder rolls down and hits the house. And they're like, that roll, that boulder rolled down because you know, the, the, the person was bad. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, here, here's what's weird about Joe. He and I were having a conversation one day. We were actually talking about our pets. And I said to him, one of the questions that I had asked him as a result of this conversation for this interview was in, in precognitive remote viewing, do you see several paths several possible paths or just one path? Or does that depend on what you're trying to, to view? And Joe's response was, he says, he, I never see possible paths of outcome. While there may be millions of other possibilities when it comes to outcomes in the future, there's only one that will happen, and that's the one that will occur. Which is so a that, noodle that's baker. A blank, that, that's a pretty amazing statement. Because then in the book you say, isn't that... Um fate then yeah and he said no it isn't because uh free will decides the actions and the outcomes that will eventually occur and remote viewing only reports on what those will be yes (laughs) now we need some twilight zone music (laughs) (laughs) right and then neo breaks the cookie jar that's right (laughs) The cart before the horse, the whole, like, how could it be there if it's, it hasn't happened yet? But there's, I don't know. It's like it's almost like there's, like, these multiple universes, right? Right. And there's, like, multiple outcomes. But certain events that happen in a great many, maybe not all, but maybe most of the timelines are, like, really big sink, you know, right. whirlpools and eddies. So right. like the JFK happens in a great many, but there's like all these different outcomes where maybe it is the mob that kills JFK, or maybe it is the CIA, or maybe it is the lone gunman, and all of those possibilities are out there, and then the ones that happen in a lot or a great many of the timelines are, we we get leakage of all of that being true. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. <sighs> yes. Sometimes it seems that synchronicity is actually can be that leakage. Right. Uh, it's like it's like there's an underlying web of reality that connects everything, uh, and it seems like in our everyday world, 
nothing is connected. The, we aren't connected, but this, technologically, <laughs> with the the underlying reality, everything is connected, and we see that through synchronicity, which seeps, which is the most conscious aspect of that uh, that underlying web of reality. Indra's net is what the Hindus called it. Yeah, where everything's right. reflected in everything else. The, right. The newosphere is another name that Teilhard de Chardin, the philosopher, called it as well. Well, so just in case people didn't understand, could you just quickly <laughs> <laughs> quickly explain what remote viewing is? And then the interesting point that I found from the Joseph McGonagall interview was there was some kind of strange hope in the future, the vision of the future that he saw. Could you right. ex explain that a little bit? You mean with the RV of, of Mars? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was pretty weird. Well, first, the explanation. What remote viewing is very similar to clairvoyance, uh, being able to see what's happening elsewhere. Uh, and Joe, in particular, has an ability to see what's happening elsewhere at different times, the past and the future. Um, the difference between clairvoyance and remote viewing is that there's a certain procedures to follow with uh, remote viewing uh, that they've learned step-by-step uh, -step procedure. And, and they also uh, teach, anyone can learn. That Joe's viewing. teaching it out. Right, oh, and uh, he believes that everyone has some ability to remote view. S uh, some people are better than others. Some people are incredible like Joe, <laughs> but everyone can learn it to some degree. And so when when he had the experience where one of his handlers gave him these coordinates, and oh then... okay, he was working with Monroe at the time, and he was trying to learn how to not get so stressed out because he was I think he was one of the only remote viewers. This is towards the end of the program before he left, and the guy Skip Atwater who used to work for the institute came down and handed. Um, Monroe an envelope and inside was a three by five index card with three sentences on it that Joe did not see. In fact, the envelope was sealed and the target that he was supposed to view. Okay. He didn't look at the card and the envelope wasn't open until the RP session was finished. Written on the card was the planet Mars, time of interest approximately one million years BC. That's it. So then Monroe began to give him various coordinates. That's all I gave him. Like, you know, he would say, let's see, what was one of the coordinates? Um, <laughs> this is hard to find. Anyway, Monroe would give him a coordinate, and then Joe would tell him what he saw there. Okay, when this first started off, um, Joe saw the ruins of a planet. He, he didn't know where it was, nothing. He didn't know really was that it was a planet. He he just uh, saw this scenery, this uh, landscape, barren landscape. He didn't know what it was. He uh, and what he saw was enormous, enormous pyramids, and he thought it might be Egypt. He wasn't sure where it was, but they were they were enormous, and 
as they uh, as he was continued to go to the different coordinates, he would uh, pick up uh, different different impressions different impressions of these uh, pyramids and and actually getting inside at least one of them and describing the inside and describing these beings that uh, were inside. And they call them like underground shelters. That's right. how Joe referred to them. But they were all in a state of, uh, what would you call it? Uh, like hibernation. Like, like hibernation, right. And they were, uh, in a sense, waiting to be found from the people who used to live there that had left. Uh, in ships, <laughs> in ships, and were and they were hoping to come back and get the rest of them. Apparently, was the story that Joe was picking up, and uh, he described these beings as uh, very tall, like very, ten ten feet tall, thin. Yeah, nine or ten feet tall, very thin, wearing strange clothes. Yeah, well, clothes that uh, were. Uh, almost like a second skin, just tight-fitting clothes. Um, and what else did he? Well, I, I just there were a lot of things he saw, but the whole the whole crux of the of the reading was when Rose said to him, "I want you to reach out to one of these beings, you know, engage this being in in conversation, find out, you know, what it's like, what who they are." Um, so. That's what Joe did, and he he got the he was basically told that there had been a massive environmental destruction, and that's why the rest of these beings entities had left, but they had left behind this group that lived in this chamber in kind of a hibernation, so that they would be able to greet the people when they returned and would have knowledge that they could impart about how they could survive. Yeah, something happened to the planet. Uh, like a comet passing very nearby and the tail of the comet sweeping through the planet causing a great uh, cataclysm and basically destroying the environment and the atmosphere. But you followed that up in your in your personal interview. So you read that report and then in the interview you followed up and he was able to tell a whole narrative about the Earth and right. Mars and then the the future – yeah, well, what I asked Joe, we asked him in the interview, I, I, you know, I was interested in when you're viewing something like this, what do you feel? You know, what are your emotions? And he said when he was doing this viewing, he kept getting a really, really sad feeling because these people were losing their home and a handful of volunteers to stay behind and try and set up messages for those who might come after them. And he then, uh, Monroe like, okay, we had asked him, we said, uh, other than the tall, thin entities you remote viewed on Mars, have you ever seen other alien entities or the inside of a craft? And he had. He talked a little bit about Roswell, talked about the skin suits these people wear, these entities. Um, then I asked him, oh, this is great. Well, the, right, and so the skin suits, like, this is an explanation of the grays, so you're saying yes. that the almonds are the... The goggles. Right. The, those are the, the big black eyes are not really their eyes, but a protective uh, suit. Wait, 
I remember Strieber saying something in, in the Transformation, I think is the book, the one that comes after Communion. Right. There's an alien that opens up a drawer, and it's just nothing but those suits. Oh, I remember it's that. Well, Joe said they wear the skin suits, he called them, because, first of all, we'd freak out if we saw what they looked like. That's the first thing. But also to protect themselves from our environment. He also said, well, uh, we might consider them but ugly. <laughs> they consider us to be uh, half a step behind a chimp in our development. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Merry Christmas to you all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, you, you asked that question about... Uh, hey, well, wait, wait, that's a good point, because Strievers, that happened the day after Christmas. <laughs> that's right. So there's got there's something really there's there, these things are related, man. These things are like etched in each other. The whole gray enigma is wrapped around Christianity, pagan holidays. Mm. That's a and, good. That's an interesting insight. Mm. Okay, and then I'll run with that a little bit. So, did you guys see the movie Prometheus? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I I liked it. it yeah. I think it takes place on December twenty first. Like <laughs> when the oh shoot, I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> Shortest day of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, Doug, you asked about uh, hope, the hope in Joe the future. Was... Yeah. Okay, the most distant time in the future that Joe saw would have to be the end of our star and the death of our world as a result. Okay. He says, this takes place over a period of tens of thousands of years and occurs in a number of steps that first freezes, then heats up Earth to the point that it basically dissolves to dust. Fun, huh? And is sucked back into the core of our sun. By then, we will have chosen another place to live, and he thinks that it will be a terraformed Mars. So this is what we have to look forward to. (laughs) But the imp- you know part of that that I found so fascinating was that the implication was that Mars and Earth actually were rearranged orbit orbitally. Yes, right. And yeah, that blew me away too. Well, because yeah, I for some reason if you think of the planets like chakras, I always thought they were a little. I always thought the Earth should be the the fourth chakra, and they were out of actual alignment. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think one of the most fascinating things about this remote viewing session that Joe did on on Mars is that there were all these uh, six or seven sets of coordinates that were given to him, and they came from NASA. Yes, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Laboratory, which is part of NASA. Now, somebody there had a lot of information and insight and how did they come up with these particular coordinates? And, you know, uh, it seems that scientists in general tend to make fun of people who see the face of Mars or... Uh, uh, and this was 1984. Yes, uh, but there seems to be some people on the inside <clears throat> in NASA who have quite a bit of uh, information and knowledge that uh, apparently is not not being revealed to the public. Now I feel like I've really blown it. I listened to all that Art Bell back in the in the <laughs> in the early 90s and then they were he was going on and on about this stuff and I just I thought it was it was crazy talk, but <laughs> this this insight into that is really interesting. 
And I thought it was too. I mean, when you consider that this this remote view took place in 1984, and they were asking these kinds of questions, and you know, was it last year that the rover went up, and it's now beaming back info? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to wonder how long the government's really been planning this whole trip. Hmm. Did we lose you, Will? No, no, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. <laughs> it's a lot of process. <laughs> it is. I learned a, a new word in in the book this time, psychomantium. Oh, the mantium. Could yeah. you tell our, our listeners what that is? Psychomantium is, mirror ga- <laughs> is about mirror gazing. Yeah. And... This is something that uh, goes back to the Greeks who had chambers where people would come and they would spend a great deal of time where they would be um, prepared for these experiences uh, of, of mirror gazing where they would actually be uh, in a state where they could communicate with spirits. Yeah, and the spirits would actually come right through the mirror and in full communication. And uh, this was something that uh, Raymond Moody got very interested in, and he created his own psychomantium, which he called the John D. Theater of the Mind, and he began looking for people who were willing to step into his apparition booth. And uh, his goal was to answer the question, can apparitions of deceased loved ones make themselves known in a controlled environment to normal, healthy people? And so uh, he uh, proceeded to work with uh, a number of people, I think 300 subjects and his uh, psychomantium for his uh, mirror gazing experiment that he wrote in, uh, he wrote about in a book called Reunions. And uh, so he he built this the room as a cycle as a as a therapeutic tool to uh, to heal grief and uh, bring insight uh, into the con- continuity of life. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, awesome. he would talk uh, to the people for three or four hours about the person they were going to be communicating with. And some of the results were startling, where one person came out, I think it was the first one he did, in fact. He, uh, he was, she was trying to communicate with her, husband. with her husband, who had died. And instead, I believe it was her father who came through and came right through the mirror and seemed like uh, a physical being. Uh, so he, he was very surprised by the the success he had, the, resu- uh, the positive results. <laughs> I seem to remember, maybe this was just a bad TV show, but Nostradamus used like a black mirror to see. Actually, he used, no, he used water, a bowl of water. Okay. Right. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the, the whole there's the guy who did the the crux tube on the TV was trying to talk to the dead too went through a black mirror 
and it ended up being the TV. I remember because uh, some of the guys on our on our always record our sister show, always talk and make a, that a point. Um, that makes that whole movie Poltergeist make sense in a different light too, if you think about it. Yeah, because there the spirit came through the television, right? Yeah, but that's the the strange and fascinating thread to me is how you have you have synchronicity as kind of the web work, like the underlying matrix, and then you have these uh, UFOs and the dead and spirits and this different you know. So there's this it's right. it's, it's this translating medium between two worlds or two different states of being. Or many dimensions. Yeah. You know, maybe it goes back to the multiverse again. You know, that one of the things that Streber talks about is how he feels that encounters, alien encounters, may actually be linked with the dead. And in right. the book, we speculate that maybe, perhaps one of the, the reasons that could be so is maybe where aliens are, the dimension they exist in, or whatever these entities are, they don't recognize death. And so a dead spirit to them would just be somebody who's in a different dimension. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I seem to remember, maybe it was in the McGonagall section, that we perceive the white light as God, but say, I think he maybe said that when he was there, he realized that that's just energy. Right. Like to everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Joe's, since his initial NDE, he, he's, and after he started working with Monroe and then, you know, doing the RB stuff, he, he, he evolved in terms of what he believes happened to him during that near death experience. Instead of calling it God, he just called it energy. Huh. Well, I think right now is a good time. For the trivia question, the synchronicity trivia question. <laughs> do you guys have that handy? <laughs> Here's what we're, we're requesting that you do. If you want to win an audio version of the Synchronicity Highway, and the narrator is quite good, I I listened to I listened to it and I'm I've enjoyed it. And so send your <laughs> answer, correct answer to the syncbook at gmail.com. And if you're the first one to answer the the question correctly, you will win the audio version of this this great book. All right. Are we ready for the question? I'm ready. <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, who will? <laughs> <laughs> it's late. <laughs> is is it Christmas there yet? No, I, I, I emailed. <laughs> okay. okay, Arthur Kessler, the author of The Roots of Coincidence, sponsored a contest in coordination with the London Times to find the best coincidence. And a 12-year-old boy, Nigel Parker, submitted this incredible coincidence that not only won the prize, but was called by... Kessler, the best coincidence ever. Nigel's story was related to a relative of his, and the question is, <laughs> what was 
what was the name of the person that the relative the 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 relative and what happened to this person you don't have to tell what the synchronicity is we'll go into that uh what was the name of nigel parker's relative what was the name of nigel parker's relative who was uh who was the subject of this incredible coincidence coincidence synchronicity and, and what and what happened to him and and what happened okay. to him right and then you send so your answer to the sync book at gmail. Dot, yeah. And good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so after accumulating all of this information, what do you what are your guys' personal models on how you see your day to day life? I mean <laughs> what, 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 you mean, is that too much? <laughs> You mean in terms of synchronicity, or just generally? Just the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> well, we, you know, we've been working as freelance writers for over 30 years, and so we have to depend on synchronicities, things, uh, connections that uh, come about in order to make a living, and this is uh, what we followed. Uh, when we first met, we decided to try to write a book on synchronicity actually and this goes way back in the mid 80s and we weren't really capable of doing it at the time uh we started it but we really weren't able to finish it and it was something we always wanted to do and um let me give you an example the other day rob and i went to whole foods and i was looking at their beer and i i thought oh this is a beer i've never seen before it was called brooklyn beer so I brought a six-pack, brought it home, stuck it in the small fridge in the garage. That afternoon, I get an email from my agent saying, would I be interested in a ghostwriting project? I said, sure. What's involved? Well, it's for this person who lives in Brooklyn. Well, I'd forgotten about the Brooklyn beer, right? Okay, a little while later, I get an email from this guy who says, oh, we, we really want to do this astrology app. Are you and Rob still available? Guess where he works? Brooklyn. So that night, wow. I go out about 9 o'clock. I said, hey, let's try this Brooklyn beer. And then it hit me. Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that's how it works for us daily. <laughs> and a lot of times people just have these things happen, but don't either they don't pay attention. They don't pay attention. They, they miss it. Or they just write it off as, oh, just a coincidence. Uh, but if you if you follow these uh, little leads. Uh, it just shows that how things uh, are interconnected. It's in a sense that it was a it was a precognitive event in a sense when Trish bought the Brooklyn beer. beer. This something she had never seen, but something about it attracted her attention. And right. later on, within 24 hours, she would have within 12 hours, 12 hours, <laughs> two incidents related to people in Brooklyn related to our, our work. Our Brooklyn beer. <laughs> and our beer. <laughs> it was good, too. <laughs> I wish I had one there. <laughs> Wonderful. Late. <laughs> so, I, I, do you guys experience a lot of bird sync, or is it just that um, I, I I enjoyed the the critter coincidences chapter, and I'm just wondering. It seems like 
as as I was reading through that that it do you feel like you have more than normal animal synchronicity in your life? I think we have over the years. Um and and birds are birds are great because there's so many of them. You know, and you can particular birds come with particular messages and they're not always obvious. Like we have a story in here about the swallows and the skydive that involved our daughter's second tandem skydive. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. That one was a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that one, we were driving between, across the, the center of Florida from Sarasota, the west coast to the east coast. It was right at dusk, and there were swallows sweeping across the sky, back and forth. And we'd, uh, our daughter was in college in Sarasota, and we had uh, made this trip a number of times, and I always noticed these swallows that are uh, going diving for bugs, and they're uh, doing aerobatics through the sky. And But this trip, bang, one hits our windshield. We drive a couple miles, bang, another one hits our windshield. And this had never happened before. That So we thought, what what kind of message is this, anyhow? <clears throat> so 11 did, days later. It was 11 days mm-hmm. later, yeah. Our daughter, we met our daughter uh, in a place not too far from actually where that happened. She was uh, decided she wanted to go skydiving. This was her second skydiving. Yeah, her second, second skydiving. Uh, for her 20th birthday. Right. And so she went up, it was around 2 p.m., so there's a two, and she was going tandem, in other words, two people, and uh, she was the last one out of the airplane. And okay, we have second dive, 20th birthday, two swallows, tandem jump at 2 p.m. Right. Pattern. And there was, uh, standing next to us was an, an instructor, somebody who had made over a 1,000 jumps or so, and so he was very uh, knowledgeable what was going on. And he says, oh, did you see that? We said, what happened? He said, their chute didn't open. They just released the chute. We said, and, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then a, a few seconds later, the, the, the safety chute, the second one, opened up and they came down. Uh, but, you know, it, it was... Uh, so all the twos, 11 days, I mean, just there was just a whole string of things that were about two. And it all was pointing to the skydive. Yeah. I had a, a strange critter sink. I, uh, there was a 4th of July fox in my neighborhood. I lived near the hills, so it's not too strange. But it was it was just dawn, and then I chased this guy. I wanted to get his picture, and we went around the block a bunch of times, and then I realized he was he was kept going around in circles because there was a cat that he, he, he had eaten. That he had eaten? Oh, it wasn't. You're right. My my wife just corrected me. She said it was a coyote. So the cat was dead. But then later I learned that the cat's name was Besa or Bessa or something like that, which means faith. And so. Oh, that's interesting. So it was like this heavy. So you've got a coyote on Independence Day that's killing faith. Well, and coyotes are famous for being tricksters. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that that's a real trickster synchro there. 
And right. And then that was one of those, I think in our last discussion, that was the thing that we kept like getting stuck in the idea of trickster synchronicity. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get stuck in those. <laughs> well, that's the, that room in the, in the shining that you're not supposed to go into. Right. But we still do. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. The, the trickster, one of my favorite stories of tricksters and it, it, it's simple. But it's strange. Uh, in fact, you know Darren from Brisbane. And he he placed a, an order at a novelty shop for a set of cards called 500 Things You Have to Do Once in a Lifetime. And he figured, you know, maybe the cards would help him set some goals when he was away from his monotonous job that he'd held for more than two decades. So when the deck arrived, he found 50 double-sided cards with five suggestions on each side. The middle suggestion on each side appeared in bold type, so you naturally focus on that suggestion when you look at the card. So he shuffles the deck and flips over a card, and his eyes immediately go to the bold-faced words, drive a forklift truck. Well, that was his job. That's what he did. So, he's, you know, he's thinking to himself, oh, okay. I'll take care of that one Monday morning. <laughs> but the, the deeper thing here was, went right to the heart of his dilemma, which was, did he really want to spend the next 23 years driving a forklift? And not long after that, he lost his job. So he was able to, uh, he was, he needed to uh, get out of there, but he wasn't willing to take the step until he was uh, pushed out. So that was, uh, for him, the synchronicity when he, when he pulled that card and, yeah, at first it's a trickster, but then it's also right. hints about a deeper thing. Yeah, about the, the coming future. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are you guys working on now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on a novel. Um, you have to forgive us. I think that some circuits have popped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you guys are two hours ahead of us, too. <laughs> Earlier than us, rather. Yeah. We're living true. in the, your future. You <laughs> know what it's like. So, yeah, oh, great. Not... I just made it a whole lot easier. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> so I'm working on a meditation book right now, and Trisha's working on a novel. So we always are having a, a number of different projects. Uh, uh, Trish is also getting involved in a, a ghost writing project uh, with um, with the Brooklyn person. <laughs> That's all we can say. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, you know, we're still doing our blog and looking for synchros. I mean, <clears throat> uh, we the have, more synchronicities we can have, the better off we, we are. We have a very interesting project, too, another one pending that uh, <clears throat> we've been exploring. In Aliens in the Backyard, we focused on four stories and they dealt with grays, and they're scary stories, aliens in the backyard. You didn't want to have these experiences in your backyard. Yeah. It was interesting reading them, but you, you would not want to have the, the encounters that these people had. But meanwhile, we mentioned that yeah, there are other people who have these encounters and enjoy these experiences and gain something. I don't know if they enjoy them. They encourage them. They gain something from them. And they, they call themselves experiencers. And they're, uh, the way they explain it is that the people who are see themselves as abductees see the glass as half empty and they see it as half full. Uh, 
So we've come across some someone who actually she contacted us, and we've been uh, receiving journal entries that date back to the nine, 1990s. This woman who and her husband who have had these encounters repeatedly, and they like them. I mean, they uh, they look forward to them. They explore them. I, I don't know that it's. I think it's kind of overdoing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they have unusual experiences. Yes, right. And you know, but we've we've you know run into a number of people who are you know little on the the borderline of uh, reality and. Uh, describing their experiences, but these two people are both veterinarians, <laughs> and uh, they're both retired. Both retired vets. <laughs> yeah, and and the woman's background is actually animal neuroscience, so she comes from a really solid science background yeah, research. Ooh. And so th- this is, uh, you know, it's not going to be a synchronicity book, but it'll definitely be have synchronicity in it. She yeah. gave us a great right. Book. She she she's been giving us. Uh, it seems like these uh, beings are so advanced that they, it seems like they're able to actually create synchronicity. Or generate. Or generate, yeah. Well, that sounds too scary for me. (laughs) 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 But thank you. You've been listening to Trish and Robert Gary on 42 Minutes, the production of SyncBook Radio on thesyncbook.com. More information about the work of the Mergergers can be found at SyncroSecrets.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows, or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show, become a donor. Just follow the link on the website to the donation page. Thank you, everyone, and have a merry little Christmas. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. And happy holidays. Yeah. And th- so thanks for staying up so late. And, uh, and you, guys, you guys have a good holidays, okay? Yeah, you guys you have a good holiday. Hope you don't get snowed in. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, our problem here is um, we get a thing known as the inversion, where the cold air is trapped down low and the hot air is up above in the mountains. So then it's just really, really cold, and then it's like a dirty fishbowl because it traps pollution down low. Yeah, no chance. You you should move to Florida. It's really a sort of a miracle because it happens every Christmas Eve. And if you waste that miracle, you're going to burn for it. I know what I'm talking about. 
you have to do something. You have to take a chance. You, you do have to get involved. There are people that are having, having trouble making their miracle happen. There are people that don't have enough to eat. That, there are people that are cold. You can go out and say hello to these people. You can take an old blanket out of the closet and say, here, you can make them a sandwich and say, oh, by the way, here. I get it now. And if you, if you give, then, you, then it can happen. Then the miracle can happen to you. It's not just the poor and the hungry. It's, it's everybody who's got to have this miracle. And it can happen tonight for all of you. If you believe in this spirit thing, you, you, the miracle will happen, and then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. You won't be one of these bastards who says Christmas is once a year and it's a fraud. It's not. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life, and it can happen to you. I, don't, I believe in it now. I believe it's going to happen to me now. I'm ready for it. And I, it's great. It's a good feeling. It's, it's really better than I felt in a long time. I, I, I'm ready. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Did I forget something, big man? God bless us, everyone.
Take up.